five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Hello, space enthusiasts. Welcome to another episode of the Space Business Podcast. My guest this week is Sven Chivara, co-CEO and co-founder of LiveEO, a Germany-based Earth observation startup. LiveEO analyzes satellite data to generate actionable insights for non-space customers, for example in the railway or utility sectors. So it is what we call a downstream company. That means it does not operate its own satellites, but uses data from people who do operate satellites. They're also our first guests who are based in the great city of Berlin, and we'll talk about that. A couple of administrative comments. As I mentioned last time, feel free to email us your questions or comments on the episode at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com or post them on our Twitter, which is podcast underscore space. Also, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review and or rating on your favorite podcast platform so more people can find the podcast. Okay, here's a couple of short messages about our sponsors. Then please enjoy my conversation with Sven from LiveEO. My name is Raphael Rodkin and I'm an investor and advisor to space companies. Just as a reminder, this podcast is for informational purposes only and nothing should be taken as investment advice. This podcast is sponsored by Nanoavionics, a satellite manufacturer and mission integrator. Their technologies enable many space companies worldwide to offer services that improve life right here on Earth, such as providing global connectivity, conducting Earth observation, or contributing to scientific discoveries. Check them out, and also check out my episode with the CEO and co-founder. Sadly, I am not a rocket scientist, but I'm an alumnus of the International Space University. ISU offers a number of educational programs about space worldwide. Check them out at isunet.edu. Hey Sven, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thank you very much for having me. Sure, it's a pleasure. Sven, where are you joining us from? I'm joining you from Berlin, our beautiful office in Berlin, Kreuzberg, although I'm the only person in the office. It's nice to, to have this call from here. Because we're still in Corona lockdown in Germany at the time Precisely. of this morning. Exactly. Without any end in sight, unfortunately, I think. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Actually, before we delve into the company, while you're mentioning Berlin, I think, you know, I'm sure actually you're the first startup we have on that's from Berlin. And I always like to ask about sort of the local space ecosystem, because, you know, some people are thinking about starting their companies and they're sort of thinking about locations where they want to base themselves. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the space ecosystem in Berlin? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the Berlin New Space Ecosystem. That was one of the reasons I moved to Berlin. When I studied here business engineering at the TU Berlin, I, I also wanted to join a space company. And back then, there were not that many space companies in Europe and uh, overall. And But there was PT Scientists, the company which which wanted to launch a private yep. lander to the moon. And so, so I joined that company. And since then, a lot of companies have started here. So we have a little Earth observation cluster with companies such as Planet, Up42, uh, Smart Cloud Farming, and ourselves. And there's also a hardware cluster with companies such as German Orbited Systems, uh, Berlin Space Technologies, Astrofine, and so on. So we really have a lot of competencies here in Berlin on the space side. And obviously, not only for space startups, Berlin is great, but also for startups in general, right? So yeah. We have a huge, huge talent pool for, to source from, and space is super attractive, so it's also not that hard to find talent compared to, let's say, uh, smaller cities somewhere across the world. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was going to say, because Berlin is probably possibly only second to London sort of in European European startup scene, right? A lot of very well-known startups in internet and in yeah. um, in fintech, right? Like, you know, companies like N26. Does that also mean there's probably, um, you know, venture capital firms around as well, right? Which is which is nice to have on your doorstep. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. We have one investor who's from Berlin. Uh, so most of our investors are from all over the globe. But obviously, it doesn't hurt that a lot of events have happened here before Corona. I think now with the new normal, maybe this will change a little, but it's it's always great to also just have spots to connect with other founders and just to exchange in general. How is fundraising done? What should you look out for? And therefore, obviously, Berlin is, is very attractive and very practical. Fantastic. And, and I can confirm as a German, it's, it's really a fantastic city also to live in and, and to go out, like great restaurant and bar and, well, at least in normal times, like nightlife scene and so forth so to the extent that um you know live eo is hiring and i think you are hiring that's actually i can very much recommend it as a location to be based exactly and just uh, as, a, as a short side note so once corona is over we also still again have our new space vision events which we had for multiple years where we invited um, speakers from new space companies to present themselves and then to have a to have a beer together to just uh, talk a little bit about this this huge opportunity which we're currently looking at yeah fantastic okay enough about berlin tell us about life eo the company where you are the co-ceo and co-founder yeah sure so life EO exactly has to go to bring earth observation data to enterprises uh, we believe that we're currently going through a revolution of earth observation imagery and we think that this data offers great opportunities to improve business processes and decision making throughout the the enterprise world. Um, currently, we are serving our services to customers in the utility and infrastructure space. So we've developed a full stack solution which translates satellite data into actionable insights for railway operators, electrical grid operators, and pipeline operators so that they can monitor and then maintain their infrastructure grids from space. Customers of us are, for example, the German railway operator, electric grid operators from Australia to the U.S., and, and a bunch of pipeline operators. Can we just dive a little bit deeper into sort of what these use cases actually look like? Because you know, if you're saying railway lines, it sounds like so observing railway lines from space. That sounds kind of boring, but I assume this is about sort of like seeing that there's everything is okay, that there's no, I don't know, like tree that fell onto the railway line or is coming too close and, and things like that. Exactly. I think infrastructure grids are one of these, these kind of categories you don't really think about a lot uh, when they are working, but you're thinking about them a lot when they are not working. So we and we try to prevent any damage from happening to these infrastructure grids, meaning that we monitor external threats to these infrastructure grids, such as already mentioned by you, vegetation which grows too close to, for example, the railway network and could fall onto this in a case of a storm. The same is true for electrical grids. We also monitor ground deformation and third-party interactions alongside infrastructure grids. So we really have a holistic solution which offers the operators of these networks to just have a yeah, quasi near real-time uh, overview over the entire external threats to the networks, which helps them to maintain these more efficient, uh, efficiently. And in the end, for us as the end user, provide a better service. How did you come up with this? I mean, was it like, you know, you were taking the German railways like me and there was yet another delay because there was a problem on the track and you're like, I better start a space company? I'm, I'm kidding. How did yeah. you guys get the idea? So my background is, is, is business engineering. My co-founder's background is an aerospace engineer. And so we were more coming from um, not the market pull side, but the technology push side. So we thought, okay, 
it's incredible what we're currently seeing here, really on the hardware side with all this new satellite constellation being launched. Uh, back then, Planet just completed the mission one, monitoring every place on the Earth every single day. And we said, okay, that's incredible. Let's do something with this kind of technology. And what we said was, okay, the missing link between the data which we have or will have in the near future and uh, what the end user really needs is a software stack and, and a SaaS solution which really does this translation from raw imagery into actionable insights, really domain specific. And then we, we looked out for industries which could benefit from this. And in the beginning, we were very, had a very wide scope. And then we looked at, uh, we did some market analysis, some, uh, some, some comparison with different uh, target markets, which we would focus on at the beginning. And the infrastructure market came out as, as one which, which could serve the purpose very well, which is to proof that satellite data has a direct business impact to big companies and that it can be translated and also sold to them effectively. We said, let's let's try to use the infrastructure market as our prototyping market. We did that because we were also lucky, um, let's say, in Germany would say, uh, Glück im Unglück. We were uh, lucky that there was a storm, obviously not something you should be happy about, but uh, through that storm, which was at the at the beginning, uh, at the end of 2017, a lot of trees fell onto, onto infrastructure networks and we said, okay, that's the perfect time. Let's do that. And so um, we, we won the Copernicus Masters and then I took this uh, as, as also like a a boost to build up the first prototype for our infrastructure monitoring solution and it took off from there. Okay, and, and, and just for our non-German speaking listeners, Glück im Unglück, the, probably the closest translation I can up can come up with is uh, silver lining. So the silver lining of some yeah. bad event, in, in your case, this, the storm, yeah. which sort of affected infrastructure. Okay, so, so tell us a little bit more about new space vision. How, how does that work, especially if you go back to normal times? Yeah, exactly. So new space vision uh, was exactly, in fact, the the starting point also of life here, oh, because at the very beginning, I thought, I, I believe that there's currently something going on in the space ecosystem, but I don't have anyone to found something with. And so I started New Space Vision through that a little bit. I also met, met Daniel, my co-founder. And so what we're doing with New Space Vision is we're giving people a platform like, like you and other founders in the new space industry to present what they are doing, to find potential talent. Uh, so it's an event series here physically, for Corona and hopefully also uh, in the near future. And uh, also just right now, exactly, we, we have a podcast series and um, and some online events. So really we try to also try to do, I think something similar as, as you do, just to get more people excited about the space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what's the easiest way of people to find out? Is there a website? Yeah. Exactly, newspacevision.com. That's our website and the podcast can be found on all uh, on all outlets. Okay, great. We'll put that in the show notes to this episode. But so if I understood correctly, none of you guys actually had a, a background in, in these industries, right? So you guys really went through a very structured ideation process and said, okay, here is a sector where our solution may make sense. But once you have identified that, sort of what were the further steps of market validation? Did you just contact like a number of infrastructure companies and say, hey, can you give us a meeting? We want to explain space to you or how, how did you guys go about that? Yeah, so in the beginning was really, really that. So we, we looked at the market from an outsider perspective. None of us exactly, as you said, knew anything from an insider perspective. I think the general enterprise world is opening up to the, to the thought that innovation also has to come from the outside perspective and the outside world, right? So we then tried to get in contact contact with as many innovation people as we could. 
especially in obviously the target accounts which we were looking at. And we sent out pitch decks, which are our idea. And these somehow made it to the right person in the organization. And then the first like big market validation boost came when we uh, entered an accelerator program from the German railway operator, which gave us really the, the market proof, the validation and a close weekly contact with the potential client, which allowed us to redevelop the solution very closely with the first customer. But because we had this close customer interaction, we were able to develop the solution to this customer needs. On the other hand side, our vision stayed with us from day one until today and the future to come. And we're building a solution which is not only useful for one industry, the infrastructure sector, but that we're building something which has applications in many other industries. And that was also the reason how uh, made us made us build technology the way we, we, we did it. So when you were in that accelerator program from, from Deutsche Bahn, which which is basically the German railway operator, it's it sounds like basically you were almost doing like sort of a pilot there with a with an actual customer. And what was yeah. that customer Deutsche Bahn or was it some Exactly that customer was the was Deutsche Bahn, yes. Exactly. Okay, and and after sort of that pilot was done, they they liked your solution and they basically stayed on as a customer. So they liked our solution, and um, and then exactly we were able to convince them uh, with with a lot of work um, so to to stay on. I mean, we were still a, an early company back then, and uh, and built a solution to their requirements. Um, and then uh, what we also did relatively early was looking a little bit outside of the the just customer the the one customer for Japan and looked okay what are adjacent customers are looking at because often also like you can you have this effect of scale right if you speak to multiple mm -hmm. customers maybe the thing which you do for one one customer improves also the the this the, the product for another one and so we looked at the electric grid operator and relatively fast scale also in that direction and now have multiple dozens electric grid operators so that's now our biggest market which we serve yeah I, I guess i can see the synergies once you've got one and you got the, the pitch materials ready and everything you, you might as well go to the and you have of, of course also your software solution defined yeah. as you said the the actionable insights i mean of course you can just go to the next ones but i just want to dig a little bit deeper on this sort of um, process of approaching customers who are not from the aerospace sector and who may just not be familiar with space at all who can benefit from space technology because i mean it's it's just relevant for many of obviously for many space startups especially space application startups and especially you know people who do you know data analysis um, of satellite data you know whether it's for for agriculture or insurance or utilities like you guys for now i see still like a lot of people struggling and i think the issue is a little bit on both sides i mean one that the people in the non aerospace companies, they just don't understand space. And, and to some extent, they don't care, right? Because they're like, okay, I don't care the data comes from space. It's like you say, I want some actionable insights for my business. And on the other side, I think, unfortunately, very often also the startups, which at least for the moment, are very often co-founded by, by space engineers. They don't make enough effort to understand the customer industries. I mean, it sounds like you guys obviously went through a long and deep exercise of, of doing that. So can you maybe just talk a little bit about that experience of approaching the people and maybe some best practices and looking back sort of what you would recommend to other startups which are trying to break into customer industries that do not know space yeah i think like space is a great hook to to uh, spark interest but it's never the reason why you land the deal the reason why you land the deal is because you can answer a customer question with an answer which certifies yeah the, also the budget and everything so you should always think about not only what's possible but what's also economically feasible and then that has to be the pitch right satellite data can be in the first line but the rest should be just about the customer problem 
Um, and so, so I think that's that's super important. And um, then, um, then yeah, I would say it's it's really comes down down to this. And just in the beginning, trying to ask a lot of questions early on, we hired people which came then from the infrastructure sector, from the energy sector. So our, our operations lead, for example, has a 10 years background in uh, the energy market consultancy world, right? So he knows the customer by heart and brought obviously also a lot of insights into the into the company. And that was also, maybe that's another learning, which is not only applicable, I think, to application companies, but to a lot of um, companies and maybe also startups in the hardware space. But we always try to do from the very first second on, so the very beginning, we didn't have um, any own money, which we were able to invest. So we were just bootstrapping based on this pilot project and on uh, public funding um, and pitch competitions. And so at the very beginning, we always looked, okay, what's the one thing which we are really not good at and, and try to hire a person for this, even with the smallest kind of resources which we had, because we always said, okay, like money on the bank is, is great, but the opportunity cost is much higher. We don't use it now. And so um, with that, for example, using like the cash reserves you have to, to create pitch material, which is also maybe visually appealing, maybe sometimes the better invest, uh, although you obviously uh, take a risk there. But I think in the early, in the early startup days, which, which I think this question was, was about, I think uh, you should try to, to invest what you can to speak the language the customer is speaking. And another question about that. So for your specific use cases, like for example, for the railway lines or the power lines, was your solution something that just wasn't possible before and hence you were showing them something completely new or were those customers doing that with some other means? I, I don't know, were they like flying drones or something and you guys could come and it's like, hey, we can do the same thing, but better and cheaper. I mean, that's the ideal scenario, right? If you can say exactly like uh, we do it better and cheaper, then it's a no-brainer. Yeah. I think with satellite data, that's very rarely the case. In, in some edge cases, that is. And if you found something like this, you struck gold. But with satellite data and our types of analysis, we improve already existing processes and can partially replace some of the current OPEX, right? So that's, that's I think, also the play with a lot of satellite-based solutions, right? Just take the agricultural example. We are not serving the agricultural market, but as an example, Mm-hmm. A farmer, if he surveys it, his or her field, they can gather much, much more, much deeper insights often than obviously satellite data can. But satellite data uh, from Sentinel, for example, can give you really the overview over the entire farmland. So satellite data always, in my perspective, oftentimes always improves the processes rather than completely replacing something mm-hmm. which is already there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While you're talking about satellites, I, I think we just have to point out, just in case that wasn't clear to, to the listeners, so you guys do not own your own satellites. You basically take data from existing other satellites and you analyze it. It's, it's what we call a, a downstream company in, in, in the sector. And wh- where do you get your data from? Very um, good addition. Yeah, exactly. We don't own our own satellites. That's a little bit, we see, sad. We, we love hardware, but it would be just too too pricey, I think, for us. We, we the first data source we took was Sentinel and Copernicus uh, from the Copernicus program. And from there on, we have used all scalable sources which are out there. Planet, Maxa, uh, Airbus from Up42 and other sources. Um, really everything which is out there and with that we are really able to create the best data stack 
which is available um, for, for each customer all across the globe. Now. So as you're using both free data, but you also, also paid data. From exactly. We, we, we pay for, for satellite data and we use free, free available data. Yeah. Free, obviously, is not always uh, without a price. You still have to store it and you still sure. have to um, process it. But Exactly, it's available, yeah. And, and let me ask, ask you for the benefit of other potential entrepreneurs who are, who are looking at putting up satellites. Is there anything, any type of satellite data that you wish was available but, but isn't or yeah. isn't enough? I think like still it's a capacity problem to some degree. We could sell much more for our solution if the prices would be lower for high-resolution tasking, for example, uh, for high-resolution imagery. That's, that's one thing. I know that the existing constellations are working on this, but that's still, I think, a market which could see more competition. On the other hand side, exactly, I, I mean, uh, a range of thermal mapping companies out there. So having thermal imagery can be very useful for smart city application and such. So they are, they are, this is definitely something which we would like to look at. And then there are more hyperspectral bands with a, a lot of coverage, right? Because this is, I think, still something which we're, where we now have companies like Planet putting up super doves, which have multiple spectral bands. But just having the ability of an NMAP, like German planned scientific mission, on a commercial basis with a higher frequency, you could really serve mm -hmm. also much more purposes. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm hearing sort of the wish list across the board, like more uh, higher um, temporal resolution, which means more frequent revisits, <laughs> higher spatial resolution. And by the way, what kind of what kind of spatial resolution? Are you guys looking for what what would be ideal so that's that really comes down again to the use cases i think like this um and the resolution is one thing also just like the depth of an image and the spectral details play a big role in, in that but i mean the more high resolution the better but this is then obviously always coming with more cost. So something smaller than three meters is definitely useful uh, mm -hmm. for for really few applications such as planet is, is currently serving and everything bigger than that is still okay usable as a, as a substitute or for large tracking large monitoring applications right and so i was going to ask you whether you mostly use optical images uh, optical imagery but then you already started mentioning things like um, thermal imagery and, and even hyperspectral can you give us an example how you would use thermal images like you know basically images that detect temperature changes so um we currently don't have thermal uh, imaging a use case which we serve to a lot of customers. We are in some POCs with some customers, but just because it's like a chicken and egg problem, there are no commercially available data sources which would fulfill customer requirements. So there are also no projects in this in this domain. But for example, applications could serve like the rapid post events or disaster monitoring use case, such as right after, for example, an uh, overhead line struck fire to monitor that. Just in, in other use cases where you want to maybe monitor um, exactly just the effectiveness of different um, industrial parks, right, or the output of industrial parks, their um, this kind of infrared imagery would be, would be highly useful. But we, just to add, we also use radar imagery. So we really have built up a highly flexible. So we are now around 50 people, and of that, around 35 uh, currently still are on the tech side. We're now hiring a lot of salespeople. So if anyone out there who's interested in joining us as a sales rep or in business development, do they need a background in a specific um, customer industry or just general sales? General sales. So what we believe is we are not selling a earth observation solution. We're not selling a GIS solution. We're selling a software solution. So preferably the software background, but a great, a great salesperson can, all, can sometimes sell everything. So 
um, we, we would just be interested to, to speak to people which, which, which have a drive. So they, and um, they don't, what I mean is they don't have to, for example, have deep knowledge already of the utilities um, no. industry. Um, like that. Obviously, that, that's beneficial for sure, um, but that's not required uh, per se. The, but coming back to the, to the topic, so we are also analyzing radar imagery and it requires a little bit of a headcount to, to be able to do that. But yeah, that's what we are, we are also doing. So you mentioned that currently your main customer groups is, is the, um, the electrical utility operators and, and, then, and then the railways. But you did mention that you wanted to expand into other industries as well. What, what are the plans there? What other industries do you find interesting? So currently we're really like driving in a, uh, an open process to just explore other opportunities in other markets. So we have a business development team which really looks actively in, into, into other industries. We have a partnership with one of the world's biggest construction consultancies CDM Smith, um, and, and with them we are looking into some use cases. And uh, in general, we are we are very open-minded also. So we we believe that the toolset which we've built up offers us a lot of opportunities and a lot of fields. Now that's also maybe just a learning for anyone who's coming from a technical background. I'd never underestimate sales, right, in marketing. Uh, mm. We've built up this great technology. Uh, but I mean, although it could be used in a lot of industries, sales is like half of the equation, right? So we couldn't, we, we just want to make sure that with our business development, we identify the next right industry to expand into in the future. Yeah, so exactly. I've mentioned the construction market, but obviously there are other opportunities in the forestry market and so on the insurance market and so on, which we currently just take a closer look at. But when you kind of expand into a new industry, I mean, you mentioned now the fact to not underestimate sales, and I totally agree with that. I mean, it's funny, actually, when I see the space com the space startups that come across my desk as a venture capitalist, that's typically really it's what's lacking is on the business side, because again, most companies these days are so far still co-founded by, by engineers. But what do you think is more difficult? Is it, is it sort of adapting the technology and maybe having to do adapted algorithms for the new industry, or is it that that business side and just the sales side of breaking into the additional sector? I would say it's the latter one. So because like technologically, we're solving very, very hard problems with a great team of engineers. But once these problems are solved, these problems can be solved, right? We say it's, it's, a, it's a battle by battle in, in each industry, right? So if I, for example, are able to classify something for industry A, I most probably will be able to classify something similar for industry B. But like having a different sales approach in two industries, knowing how the market works and then also being able to create significant traction in this market is a, is a challenge which which is not that easy where you can't just copy and paste the approach from previous industry. By the way, I didn't, I didn't ask about the team's background. I mean, I guess what you're doing at heart is, is basically data science slash machine learning. Is, is that where you guys are originally coming from? Is that where the majority of the team is or what? What does the team look like? Yeah, the majority of our team is are machine learning uh, scientists, are geologists when it comes from the radar spectrum, are data scientists, computer scientists, clouds, uh, uh, architects, um, exactly because obviously um, we don't run anything on, on premise. Uh, we have everything in the cloud. Um, so exactly it's software engineers all across the board. Yeah. How is the how is the competitive landscape? I mean, this, 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 the, I guess the good and bad thing about um, the downstream, again, the, the companies that we call downstream that analyze satellite data is it's much less capital intensive than anybody who's putting hardware into space and, and much, much less, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Sort of like potentially hundreds of millions of dollars, you kind of, you can really get started with a few million dollars. But of course, that also means it's 
easier to, yeah. to get started? Do you see a lot of a lot of other entrants? And so how do you try to differentiate yourselves? Also from people who may specialize in just one sector. That's a very good question. It's funny. Uh, when we started our company, there was, at least from our perspective, no startup player in this industry globally. And since then, uh, a few followers have, have popped up. Um, and also venture capital is following that industry. So we have raised multiple rounds and also our competitors are pursuing that path. So there is in the, there is competition and in the industry, but we are very convinced that, that our focus from the very beginning on building the most flag, most scalable and most optimized kind of technology offers us a lot of opportunities, uh, which wish our competitors don't have. Also, we have raised the most uh, venture capital, which has flown into mm -hmm. the technological development. So we really believe that our technology is the most advanced one. How we, that's the status quo, right? For the future to come, how, how do we make sure life is future-proof? We try to focus on speed when it comes to development, scalability when it comes to deployment and automatization all across the board. So we build, we try to build a very flexible system, uh, but which works su super well together. And also the, the head of our machine learning department has a PhD in machine learning. We hired him away from Morgan Stanley, David, he's, he's super smart. And he assembled a team of just great people, great talent. And also that takes time uh, to, be, to be replicated. Yeah. I realize I, I didn't even ask you how your service sort of like works and from the customer's perspective. You mentioned it's basically software as a service, right? So I assume there's some sort of platform they, the customer can log into and then it's sort of like a subscription model. They pay where, I don't know, by, by Square Mile or something like that. Precisely. So we have a web app, we have mobile apps for uh, different uh, operating systems and the customer logs in and then can access our data via that. Depending on the customer, we, we have also built um, API integrations. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how it is the customer consumes data of ours by the extent of the network yeah of the of the assets yeah as you obviously have existing customers as you mentioned and and hence you have existing revenues if i may ask in what kind of time frame do you think a business like yours can be break even break even if everything works well we can break even next year because i think uh, but but i That's mean fantastic. Do, do you want to do you want yeah, to break of course even? you can always spend more on marketing and, and then exactly. expanding I'm, into other segments and so forth yes yeah precisely right amazon it took them quite uh, quite some time to break even we also believe that we are currently going through um, very interesting time and obviously this entire space but also for ourselves as a company so we really want to focus to to grow as as quickly as possible yeah. Mm -hmm. So the related question, I guess, is so, as you mentioned, you just recently closed the uh, financing round and congratulations on that. So thank you. What are, what are some ways you will use that capital? So it's really like the main focus is on expanding our sales team. We've opened up a US office and uh, we're growing exactly. We're hiring a, a bunch of, of sales and marketing people. So that's, that's one focus. And the other focus is just to further expand our tech team, uh, just to build solutions which really scale and um, these are the two areas we should focus on, on the first one. Because, again, like we say, we, we are absolutely convinced that our technology is the best one. Um, but we um, but we know that we, we can still do better marketing, for example. And now we want to focus on this too. Yeah. What was the thinking? I mean, as you said, you guys are a relatively young company. What was the thinking behind the decision to already open up in the U.S.? Is that something you you, you figured it was important to get, get in early? Or I, I assume you didn't you haven't exhausted the potential of the European market yet. Uh, that's, that's correct. But I think like in an AI space, if you build a local solution, right, uh, for a 
problem which is similar all across the globe, uh, you will in the end potentially lose against a competitor who is more serves a more global market just because it is more attractive to venture capital, venture capital mm-hmm. community to to fund someone who has a global footprint and also obviously US American market in itself is very attractive. These were two reasons why we said, okay, we have to expand globally. The other I mean, beautiful thing is that satellite data obviously doesn't know any borders, so we can serve customers all across the globe, as we do. You can say focus first on Europe and then expand, but also the European market is unfortunately not one uniform market, but very different from country to country. So that's also not not a quick win, right? Yeah, so the other thing I was wondering with regard to your financing round is how was the experience with with the investors and getting them to, to invest in your business? I guess... The nice thing you have is that your business, given its space, is relatively closer to things they already know, like AI, SaaS. Exactly. So I think like the um, so it was it was an interesting experience to raise the first round and then also the second round, so I'll see them Series A. But I have to say that exactly because we're doing a downstream uh, application, or that we have developed a downstream application, it is close to the space they are already familiar with. What they are not familiar with is the market environment, right? And so mm-hmm. you have to support them in understanding where does the satellite operators stand, where do companies like uh, mm-hmm. other Decart Labs also stand, right? And where your own positioning is within the market. So you have to support them with understanding this. Uh, that's one important thing. And uh, the other thing is that exactly also you see more and more investments in the earth observation market and even dedicated VCs, right? Like yourself, like, like yep. others, uh, just one soil, a great company uh, in Belarus just raised a five million US dollars round, right? So you mm-hmm. see like these kind of investment rounds in that space more and more often. Also, I think that A, you have to support the investors which are not aware of the space and B, there are more and more investors which are yeah, exactly specialized in that space, which is great. Was there any particular particular question you kind of kept getting from the investors? Yeah, you had either one of these two questions. One is, okay, but what what do you do if the satellite operators do it themselves? Uh, and the other one was, okay, so satellite data is becoming a commodity. Uh, so how do you make sure that you differentiate yourself yeah. from, from others? Um, and now, obviously, these two questions both go some somehow in the opposite direction. So you mm-hmm. were either speaking with one VC with the one hypothesis or with the other one, sure. the other hypothesis. Yeah. What was your, out of curiosity, your answer to the first question, which basically is like, okay, if somebody like Planet wants to vertically integrate and just do much more downstream analysis? Yeah, I think I think Planet or any other of the satellite operators uh, has, has a great business model. If they sell their data effectively and on scale to a lot of clients because just with the same data they can serve multiple use cases meaning if they take a picture of san francisco there are so many potential clients which could buy this data and every time they would make revenue and i believe that the specialization on making this as easy as possible and efficient as possible that's really where they should focus on it which is a great business case that's one reason why i believe they will just focus on on providing the data effectively but the other one is also just because it's extremely cost expensive to build solutions for individual markets which again brings away your focus from your core right and stick to your core is something which i think uh, is sometimes some yeah, a good tip for any company. But nevertheless, is is a company like Planet or even Spire, which you know 
um, yeah. now we'll have probably a few hundred million dollars additional capital <laughs> in the bank. Do you regard those as, as potential exit options or where do you think um, your, your exit options will lie sometime in the future? I think the market is still growing and these companies uh, will also still, still grow. I believe that our solution fits more in the space of the end users. So who are already customers which mm -hmm. are serving the uh, who are companies which are already serving a similar user group than ours, which are obviously giants of the industry, uh, can be giants of the Oracle or something, mm -hmm. SAP companies like these, rather than the satellite operators, because you could come into, into a conflict of interest. Let's see. I mean, we... I couldn't have imagined what is currently happening in the in the space five years ago. So yeah. who knows what's what's going on in five years? Yeah, where where would you like to be in five years? Yeah. The global uh, market leader in the Earth observation space for enterprise clients. Uh, that's our big vision. That's what we're working on very hard here at LiveYour. Uh, we want to monitor every major infrastructure with, uh, across the globe and really make Earth observation data as accessible as the GPS signal today. So that's that's the big thing. One question I'd like to ask um, entrepreneurs like yourself. So if you weren't doing live EO, but say you were still excited about what's going on in space right now, is there something else that you'd find particularly exciting that you think, okay, maybe I would be doing that? Yeah, so I've like... I have this um, hypothesis that um, exactly, obviously, space, successful businesses in space go from something which has uh, no weight to things which, which have weight, obviously, right? This, this, I mean, it's, it's logical. So it started with just having uh, telecommunication signals, then, then pictures. I think now we're getting in the, in the area where exactly it's, it becomes feasible to fly something into space and to get something down from space mm -hmm. as well. So I believe that space manufacturing is really something which is which I'm super interested in. Yeah. Um, so for ex exactly. So I'm super interested in this area. Unfortunately, I hadn't had the proper training in university to really assess the different opportunities. But just companies like Yuri from Germany or Vada Space, exactly. I think you even told me about them, right? What they are doing is super exciting, and I believe that there are a lot of opportunities which we just don't see just yet. Yeah, I think from a venture capital investor perspective, we we fully agree with that. And looking at that part with great interest. Um, yeah. For the listeners, um, Mark Kugel, one of the co-founders of Yuri, he was on the podcast a few months ago. So look up his episode. And and yes, Vada um, was basically incubated by Founders Fund a few months ago as another space manufacturing companies and there's one or two others um, yes exactly quite interesting yeah. so that kind of um, the space manufacturing which is sort of a very nascent field that kind of gets us conveniently uh, gives us a segue into my final question which is always about science fiction and so when do you like science fiction and if yes what kind of science fiction is your favorite yeah so i i, I really like science fiction i have to be like most probably that's that's a <laughs> It's a boring answer, but Star Wars uh, episode uh, one, so last, um, how do you say, chapter, but the chapter before that was one of my first movies in cinema, Jar Jar Binks and so on. That really sparked my interest in, in space industry in general um, as, a, as a young child. And then I read a lot of books in, uh, about the wider Star Wars uh, universe. So I'm not such a big fan of the new movies, but the... Star Wars universe written out in books. That's really what what's uh, really excited me as a as a young young person. Now, unfortunately, I don't have that much time to read so mm -hmm. much stuff. But uh, yeah, that's that's I think uh, my favorite. Um, 
serious. Terrific. Sven, thank you so much for coming on and, and good luck with deploying the capital from, from the investment round and, and all the best for LifeEO. Thank you very much for having me on the podcast. I uh, really liked the, the previous episodes with the other great founders and people from the industry and uh, really excited for the future to come uh, in this new space uh, revolution. Well, that's it for another nominal episode of the Space Business Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform, such as iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore space. Also consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash space business podcast. If the podcast got you interested in learning more about the business opportunities in the space economy, check out my new online course on space entrepreneurship on udemy.com. The link is in the episode description. Lastly, if you have any feedback, including ideas for guests, and that may include yourself if you have an exciting space story to tell or interested in being a sponsor, drop us an email at spacebusinesspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing you for the next episode.